you're standing, uh, some of you might be wondering why we do this. We stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God, just as we have been singing and standing as we sing. Uh, I encourage all of you children who are standing there, uh, either get by your mom or dad or reach out and find a Bible that you can look at, maybe a smart device, whatever the case may be. Those of you who are watching live stream at home, I encourage you to stand with us as we read the, the Word of God together. Um, again, for those of you who are visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. We know that some of you uh, came for the baby dedication. You have to endure the sermon as well. So uh, I hope that it'll be encouraging to you. Let me let you in on what we do and why we do it. We work our way through a book of the Bible, and we find that in doing that, we discover truths that, that fit for every day, every situation, and so we, we try to park those truths in our hearts, and we've been doing that through the book of 1 Thessalonians. I think this is about sermon number 24, 25. We're coming near the end of it, and in this section of Scripture, Paul is giving some final encouragements. How can the church, if the church is just individuals like you and me, how can we how can the church become healthy? And so he's been giving a number of these things, and we kind of reach a high point. And so this will be important, not just for those of us in the church, but you parents who dedicated your kids, for you grandparents that are in here today, uh, we're going to discover, I think, one of the pinnacles of what Paul is talking about in this little passage of Scripture. We're starting with verse 19, right in the middle. We're not going to go back we're not going to go forward, but we start with verse 19, look at it, we'll read it, and then the next two verses after that, uh, and then we will pray and jump into the Scripture. Do not quench the Spirit. How do you do that? Do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Father, you know that uh, even as Jim was encouraging us a minute ago to pray for these children, I prayed a moment ago just as I've prayed for my own children and now my grandchildren. Oh, God, that at a very early age, they would, they would be born again uh, so that they would know you, and out of that, they would live a life in which they pursue you. But we also know, and, and it seems to be heightened in our minds, in our senses in these days, that there's someone else who will also be pursuing him. And he is the enemy of our souls, the devil, Satan, the great dragon. And Father, our prayer for these precious children that have been dedicated, and really their parents were dedicated to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, our prayer for these precious little ones and other children in here and our teenagers over here and all of us, no matter what age, is that Satan would never get a second of our lives. But Father, that's not just going to happen it's going, 
to come about as we do the things growing out of our salvation that you have told us um, that show us how to be healthy as believers and as a church. So, Lord, help us now. We need your Holy Spirit who lives in those of us who know you to take your word that was authored by the Holy Spirit and to teach us the things that we need for today, right now. Help us to respond. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let me emphasize what I just said a minute ago. You know, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, um, you know, living, living a life without Christ is hard enough. Would you agree? You, you look around the world and you see plenty of people who do not know Jesus and they're going through any number of things. But when you become a Christian, teenagers, the rest of you around here, when you become a Christian, you need to know something, that you're going to be in the crosshairs of people who are out for you. I mentioned the devil a minute ago, but hold on. He's not the only one. The world, your own flesh, all are conspiring to bring affliction onto you. And so, let's go back to the very beginning. Let's review what we have said. This is the first letter that Paul wrote early in his ministry. He was with this church for two weeks, and then he had to leave. He was basically run out of town. And so when he writes to them, he reminds them of several things. And look at how he combines in two verses the two things that we're going to talk about today, the, nece the, the, the necessity of the Word of God and the Spirit of God working in conjunction in our lives. So here's how he said it, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ came to you when I came to your city. It came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. That's our only hope. By the way, that's my only hope, not that I stand up here and with any kind of voice inflection or theatrics or anything like that get you to internalize this what it, that we're looking at today. It simply won't happen. It has to happen as the Holy Spirit takes His Word and brings it with full conviction and with power into your life. Then He goes on to say this, now watch, you received this gospel, the Word in the midst of what? Guess what? There it is. You're in the crosshairs. In the midst of much affliction, but with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So there's risk-reward in knowing the Lord Jesus. And just as you're concerned, you parents that brought your kids and you, you dedicated them to the Lord, there is concern that you bring them up so that they are healthy that's what Paul is telling us now, how you can do that. And he starts out by saying this. We, we considered this last week. We're not going to go back and do much more than just say it. But he says, and let me kind of stretch it out, quench the Spirit. Quench the Spirit. That's talking about big S, the Holy Spirit. Don't suppress the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Don't smother the Holy Spirit's fire or His work in you, and then as we congregate together and then go out together to minister as the local church called Heritage Baptist Church, 
don't smother his work. And how do you do that? You can look back and you can see some ways, but we're going to move forward. And there are two specific ways that the apostle says we can smother God's work. Now watch this, parents, because you, you need this. I need this. In our own lives, put the oxygen mask on yourself first. You know, that's what they do in airplanes, right? If, if, the, if the cabin loses pressure, what do you do? The, the little mask will pop out, and who do you put it on first? The child who's traveling with you, you put it on yourself so you won't pass out. And then once you've got the oxygen going, you give it down to those that can't do it for themselves. So here are two ways. The first one in verse 20. Let me stretch it out. And here it is in your sermon outline. Do not despise prophecies. Let me stretch it out. We're going to talk about what, what is this thing of prophecies? What in the world is Paul talking about? Don't scorn. Don't reject God's revelation, and then growing out of His revelation, His illumination of His Word by the Holy Spirit. That word, don't despise, don't scorn, don't reject, don't treat with contempt, don't look down on, don't ignore. I really believe that of all the ways, and you can look back admonishing the undisciplined, encouraging the faint-hearted, people, if we don't see that this is probably the most important way that we quench the Holy Spirit in our own lives, is by not taking the Word of God as seriously as it ought to be taken for ourselves and for those that we love. Prophecies is used in three primary, primary ways. I think Paul has one of those in mind. Let's just do a little bit of, of a review, sweeping all through Scripture. He could be referring to all three. I think he's referring primarily to one. First, there is the office of the prophet, okay? The office of the prophet. Now, this continued into the New Testament, and it was temporary, when the apostles and the prophets were here, they established the church and they gave the New Testament to us. And so that's one used word, prophecy. It comes out of a prophet, the establishment, the laying of the foundation of the New Testament church. That's what Paul is referring to here, that, that when they came, he took all of these strangers and aliens. Boy, doesn't that speak to our current cultural situation today, as it always has? But you are now fellow citizens with the saints, members of God's household, and watch this, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. So again, that office was temporary. We'll get to this in a minute. Unless you believe there is new revelation in addition to the Bible being given today. That's important. That is so important. There's a second way in which this prophecy could be understood. There's the spiritual gift of prophecy. 
And this is probably the one that we most often think about. In the New Testament days, it goes back to the Old Testament prophets, but even in the New Testament, there were those who had a particular spiritual gift called the gift of prophecy. And while the New Testament was being written, particularly, there were those who were prophets who would foretell. Now, you've got to be careful here. Again, we'll come back to talk about this a little bit more. But there were these people who were not only assisting the the prophets and the apostles giving the word, but they were speaking to the church in non, get this, non-binding ways to help them to see things that would happen in the future. And if you ask nine out of ten Christians about the gift of prophecy, this is the one that they're going to point to. You just saw that there were prophets in the New Testament church. Now, here is one. His name was Agabus. He came down and prophesied to Paul. This is a very real happening. Not that it's binding on us today, and this is something that you've got to be careful about. Again, I'll say it now, and I'll say it in a few minutes. This this has to do with Paul. This was not binding on anyone else but Paul. But you see what the prophet did, and inspired by God, he came down. He looked at Paul, and he said, look, Paul, this is, this is how you are going to be treated in the future. By the way, did it come true? Yes, that's always the sign of a prophet. If somebody comes to you and says, I'm a prophet, and he prophesies over you, or she prophesies over you, and it doesn't come true, what do you do? Well, you reject it. What did they do in the Old Testament? They stoned them. Don't do that, okay? But I think that there's a third way in which Paul is speaking here. The third and primary expression was and is, I'm going to say it like this, half of the primary focus of the Apostle Paul here. It is the public. This is the prophecy of which he was speaking. Do not despise this book. Don't look down on, don't treat with contempt the truth in this book. And don't despise those who proclaim the word out of this book. All right? Follow me now. Here's 1 Corinthians 14. Paul was writing to a church that had a lot of problems, a pile of problems, intertwined spiritual gifts was one of those kinds of things. And so he talks about this particular ministry of taking the Word and preachers who prophesied. Who, I, I'm, basically, this is what I'm doing today. I'm taking the reality of the, the, the once-for-all delivered Word, and I am prophesying to you. This particular gift, I'm not adding anything to it, the Word, but here's what it's for. Here's what Paul talked about. And in this passage, I'm leaving out some of the things where he addresses the, the, the gift of tongues, which was very real. That's not our, our, our focus today. But look at what he said, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And here's the one that's at the top of the heap for you right now, especially that you may prophesy. The one who prophesies, hopefully. By the way, if I'm not doing this, then fire me and get someone who will. And I'm serious. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. 
the one who prophesies builds up the church. And there are times when I look back and I think of the 16 years that I've been here, Lord, have I been faithful to preach and proclaim your word? The public, non-revelatory, I'm not giving new revelation, just proclamation, explaining what your truth says, have I done that? Let me just say a word. You will put out the fire, the Holy Spirit's fire, in your own life if you just out and out reject the public proclamation of the Word. I'm not the only one who gives it. You can go to a lot of podcasts. You can hear good preaching on the Word. And we're going to talk about discernment in a minute. How do you discern what's good and what's not? Can you think of, really, can you think of any way in which, I'm, I'm going to ask this very personally, can you think of any way that you have despised, looked down upon, taken lightly, all the rest of that, ever in your life, the preaching of the Word? I'm not saying that you have, I'm just saying, can you think of anything? I, I don't know. I, the one thing came to me, and I, I thought, wow, th- this is years ago. Um, I was a young pastor um, in a church, and I was preaching, and I heard something. It was a sharp click. And, and I thought, oh, what is that? And I heard it again, and I heard it again. And I realized that there was a guy during my sermon. By the way, I've never heard this here. He was clipping his fingernails. Now, does that say something about the guy or my preaching? I don't know. As, as boring as my preaching may sound to you, do you know one of the reasons that I give you so many scriptures? At least I'm giving you the Word, and if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you look at that, you're interacting with that, you're taking it in and saying, Lord, help me to be transformed into the image of Christ through this Word that is being poured out up here. I had this fleeting thought while I was preaching, it's, in, it, it's interesting, if you've ever done this kind of thing, that you do think while you're preaching and you, I'm looking at your faces and, and I'm interacting with all of that, I had this fleeting thought that I actually confessed and, and I was preaching at the same time. I, I said to myself, I hope that when that guy's daughter gets married that somebody clips their fingernails at the most important part of that wedding ceremony. I, I just felt like that, and then I confessed it as sin and went on. I didn't stick out my tongue, but I did mentally, and then I confessed it. No, that's not the right attitude. I, I just don't know. That's only one example. What are some other ways? That, there's just so many distractions and things like that, and, and, and uh, I know Facebook Marketplace, you just looked last night. You got to check it to make sure or whatever. I, I don't know. I think even more so is just the person who's sitting there and he's taking it in and he says or she says, I'm just not going to do anything about it. 
Now, let me move on because I, I have some very specific things that I want to. That's just an application. That was for free. Let, let me move on. Uh, the gift of prophecy. Do not despise prophetic utterances. I, I think primarily that's what Paul is talking about, the Bible. It's not new revelation. I've already said that. I'm going to say it again. It's illumination. Do you understand the difference? Revelation, illumination. Nothing added. And, and that's why you reject anyone who adds anything to the Word of God. Now, let me ask this of you, because I'm not going to talk a lot about this, but what about the Holy Spirit who lives in you? Is he a force? Is he an it? Or is he a he? He's a he. And so, therefore, he is a person who will lead you. And that's why there needs to be constant interaction between you, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Jan and I were having this conversation driving yesterday, and we were talking about what, to what extent do we take this? Does the Holy Spirit help you find parking places? Does the Holy Spirit… Well, there is an immediacy, and, and I, uh, again, without getting too far afield from that, but you need to understand that the Holy Spirit will take His Word and sometimes e even direct. You have to be careful. Don't say the Lord told me, just say, I, I have this impression, I need to go and park here or rather than there. And sometimes providentially God will use that. There is an immediacy of being led by the Holy Spirit and the Word. If you have any questions about what I just said, please see me afterwards. Because there's, there are things that I'm saying, there are things that I'm not saying in that. But here's the thing I want to draw us back to. Only this revelation is authoritative. Only this book, sola scriptura, we studied that in our foundation study, one of the five solas, it begins with this. This is our only foundation. We believe that only this book is inerrant, only this book is infallible, only this book is necessary and totally sufficient for everything. Do you believe that? Just to bolster that, let me give you a couple of verses. You can write these down. When you receive the Word of God, this is what he's going to say later on. You received as, as what it really was. It wasn't the Word of men. It's the Word of God. That's what this is. It's, by the way, I like that. It's at work in you believers. Here's this, 2 Timothy, very famous verse. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Is God going to ever breathe out anything that's wrong? He's not. And so when people start to tell you, those of even in seminaries and places like that, that the Word of God contains errors, no, it doesn't. Apparent contradictions, perhaps, that might be understood later on. Second Peter, he writes this, His divine power through His Word has granted to us everything we need. Second Peter 1, 3, and then 19 says, we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, the morning star arises in your heart. And then one more little thing that he kicks in, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, 
but they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see the inner working there? That means that nothing, nothing can be, please get this, please get this. Nothing is to be added to this prophecy. Nothing is to be taken away from it. And there are dire warnings for those who do. Now, exegetically, this is referring to the book of Revelation. But if you step back, it's talking about the whole Revelation. And John's pretty... He's pretty blunt. If you add to the words of this book, God's going to add to that person the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away his share of the tree of life, will be taken away. Now, again, I asked this a minute ago. Do you, do you believe this? I've got three that believe it. You, you don't have to speak out loud. But in your heart, do you believe this? Because there are a lot of people around you that don't. Could I just name some names that I I, I want you to go and search out if you think I'm wrong about these? Let me tell you a couple of people who don't or a couple of organizations that don't, religions that don't. The Roman Catholic Church doesn't believe that. Now, they will say that they, and look up a couple of sites where they have theologians who will interpret this book to you, and boy, do they sound good, but they add to it. They add the Apocrypha. They add, they add the, the papal bulls. The, 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 that's the, the technical word for what is spoken from the popes that becomes binding. The same as Scripture. Muslims don't believe that. I'm talking about believing that this is the final word of God. Now, again, they accept, get this, and I've talked directly to Muslims in an apologetics kind of way, and they believe that this book is inspired in the originals. But what you have, they'll point to me, It's not the original, and it's been so corrupted that God had to give new revelation through the Quran and his final prophet, Muhammad. Mormons don't believe that this is the final record. Here's what one of their leaders said. There are many things, listen to this, there are many things in the Bible which do not accord with the revelations of the Holy Ghost to me. So they add the Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price. Are there others who don't believe that this is the final revelation? Yes. There's a woman by the name of Sarah Young. You may not recognize that, or you may be reading one of her devotionals. Jesus calling, Jesus calling for kids, Jesus calling at Christmas, Jesus calling at Easter. 
And it sounds so close to what that Mormon leader said. Now, this was in her first edition. It's been scrubbed. You got to watch things that express that they're inspired or thus saith the Lord when they're later changed. She said in that original edition, I knew God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Now, didn't we just read what Peter said, that everything that we need, and you just affirmed that everything you need for life and godliness is contained in the pages of this book. But she said, I yearned for more. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. So she writes in the first person, be very, very careful. In fact, be discerning, and that's what we're going to talk about next. And I could just go on and on, liberal theology. You talk about taking away, taking away the virgin birth, taking away the substitutionary atonement of Christ, taking away the, the, the resurrection of Christ, and many, many more. This is nothing new. 1727, that's a long time ago, isn't it? 1967 is a long time ago. 1727, a group of ministers met in London. Can you believe this? Truth sometimes is stranger than fiction. To discuss the deity of Christ. Hmm. I wonder if he's God or not. Now, here, here's the irony. These guys were direct descendants of the Puritans. They gave in to the whims of the day, and they took a vote, and the deity of Christ lost. By the way, so did the church, because when you begin to take away from the Word of God, despise the revelation once for all given to the saints, something is going to happen to your heart and therefore to the heart of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, just one more thing, one more thing. I mentioned prophecies and foretelling and that kind of thing. Discern, discern, discern. What do you do when somebody comes to you? Maybe they never have, but they have to me. And they say in, in so many words, the Lord told me. And they're not quoting Scripture. What do you do? Or thus like in, like in a church service, and somebody stands up or the pastor says, thus saith the Lord. Now, you know, when you go there, you've just taken away every bit of argument. You can't say no if it's really the Word of God. And through the years, I, I'm sure that that's happened to some of you. I've had people, I remember a guy that came into my office here at, at this church, and a wonderful man, and, and he he was... He was feeling like uh, the Lord was telling him to change churches. And so he said, the Lord told me that I need to change churches. So what should I have done? I, I did what I think was correct. I said, you know what? Called him by name. 
I said, you, you really don't need to say that to give your decision weight. Because what if down the road, and there's, there have been things like this happen, if the Lord drew you back here, d- did the Lord make a mistake? See, God never makes a mistake. And if you put that, thus saith the Lord, or the Lord told me, you're putting it on a level with Scripture. He said, oh, no, 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 I would never do that. I said, then why don't you just say, the Lord has impressed me. I think or I feel that's, that's as legitimate for me. In fact, it's more legitimate than you putting yourself in harm's way by saying, the Lord told me. This, happened in, uh, this ha- has happened in several churches, but one very, very notable situation. When we were in Arkansas, I was pastoring a, a church there, and there was a prophet who came to town. And he came to my office, and he had these words from the Lord for me. And so I, I sat there and listened uh, thoughtfully. And I said, I, I really appreciate you sharing these things with me. Now, I've written, and I did. I wrote those down. I said, I'm going to go to God's Word and see if they line up. He was offended. Later on, now this is what happens. Later on, he took up residence in the home of one of our older couples. He was basically living there, kind of like the, the people that Paul talks about earlier in this book. He was being idle. He was just making trouble. And one night when the man decided that he had had enough, this guy was supposed to go, guess what this guy did? And this is one of the ways you can spot a false prophet. He turned to that man, my friend, member of the church, and he said, I curse you in the name of Jesus, and before this night is over, you'll be dead. Well, he left. This friend of mine, and he was, he, he was an older guy, but he was young in the faith. He started taking this to heart. It messed with his mind so badly that I get a call at midnight. One of our elders was over there trying to minister to him, and he said, you, you need to come over because this, this guy's a mess. He is convinced that he's going to die before the sun comes up. So I went over to the house, tried to talk to him. Now, th- this is all who are being led by the Spirit. I, I really believe that the Holy Spirit just brought to my thinking a verse that I had read not too long before, and I wondered, this was out of the Proverbs, and I wondered, what is that verse doing in there? Proverbs 26, 2. If you ever deal with anyone who's under a curse, great verse for them. It came to my mind. Now, this, this is how I believe the Holy Spirit can take His Word. Because that verse basically says, like the flitting of a sparrow and the flying around of a swallow, so a curse without cause does not come to light. It doesn't settle. It's of no use. And so I, I just said over that guy, I, I really did. I kind of raised my voice, maybe so I could sound like a prophet. 
Seriously, I, I wanted to counter what this other prophet had said. I said, I want to say a word over you from God's word. And I quoted Psalm, uh, Proverbs 26.2 over him. And I said, that curse was without cause and it will not come up. And it was almost like the guy's spirits were lifted. He realized, oh, I'm not under a curse. But it wasn't my trickery or anything like that. It was simply the word of God applied to his situation. Here's what I believe about us, church, and you. And you parents that dedicated your kids and all the rest of that, you, your kids will never be any stronger than your commitment. Now, let me back up. By God's providence, they might be. But all things being equal, your commitment to this book and to believe this book, to teach this book to them, to train them in the ways of the Lord, to bring them to a church, not just our church, but churches that teach the Word of God and obey Scripture alone. That's going to make every bit of difference in the world. This is why, again, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 4, and all of the rest of those verses come to light. Now let's move on to the second thing that Paul says. Keep the word the first thing, but the second thing is to be spiritually discerning, examine everything carefully, embrace all that is good, run from every hint of evil. Okay? So, like I've encouraged you to before, don't take everything even that I say. The people at Berea, where Paul went next after Thessalonica, were more noble-minded. You know what they did? They took the sermon that Paul preached, and that night they picked it apart. They said, wow, is this, is this the Word of God? Is this the Word of God? Now, look at what they were examining. They were examining the Scriptures. All they had then was the Old Testament. But apparently, they knew the Old Testament well enough so that they could look and examine what Paul was saying. Philippians 1 says this, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Then Romans 12, 9 says this, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. The reason these things are so important, just like the story that I told you from the very beginning, from the Garden of Eden, there have always been people who have said in one way or the other, has God really said? And if the Word of God is our sufficient authority for all of life, then all of life must be viewed through the lens of Scripture. That's what it means to distinguish so that you can make not just, now watch this, discernment. Look at Spurgeon's quote here. I think this is very, very good. Sometimes it's easy to distinguish between right and wrong. But I'll tell you, a lot of life is made up of this. Discernment is not a matter of simply telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is also telling the difference between right and almost right. 
you understand what I mean by that? We were visiting with my daughter and son-in-law, her family, this last week. And uh, they're in their 40s, early 40s. And, the, and they shared that this was not one or two. This was several friends that they knew well. Several people, couples, families involved in, in church. And they were getting divorces. And, and they really, they, they couldn't really understand. And so we, we talked about that in terms of being discerning. I shared with them an old quote by John MacArthur, no one ever just falls out of a tree. This thing didn't happen overnight. And a lot of it comes through these little indiscretions. Do you remember King David, a man after God's own heart, and his fall? That, that's in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It didn't happen overnight. He grew lax. He grew lax. He, he should It says the kings, it was the springtime. Kings go out to war, but he didn't go. I think he was making little indiscretions. I think he was forgetting God's word. I don't know if he was parking it in his heart at that point, but he began to take those steps. Is there anything wrong with walking on a roof? Did he have prior knowledge of what might have been happening then? It's almost like, and here's where discernment comes in, it's not wrong to get on a computer. But there will always be Normally, normally be, let me put it that way, there will be an opportunity for a little indiscretion. Lord, that's really not sin. That's not, I'm not committing adultery. And unless that is captured and taken to the Word of God, that little indiscretion becomes a bigger indiscretion. It becomes allowed. Then it becomes enticing then it becomes entangling. And I, I think if you'll read Second Samuel chapter 11, you'll see that downward trend of David. Finally, oh, it didn't end in adultery, folks. It ended in lying and murder. Was he able to be forgiven? Yeah, yeah. You can be forgiven of any sin. But the cost... And the real question is, why not do what Paul is simply saying here? You've got the Word of God. It tells you everything you need to know. I don't care what age you are, how old or how young you are, it gives you everything you knew you need to know. So why not be discerning, develop that ability, and when you see something that's right, you take it as your possession. That's what this word means. You take it as your own. You don't just take it in. You appropriate it. You own it. And the thing about evil, you do. Abstain. You know what the picture of that is? Paul says in another place, you turn and run from every form of evil. Read a thing this last week, and I'll, I'll close with I'm going to give you four things to develop your sense of smell spiritually. 
That's what you really need to be able to do. Take, you, you need to develop your sense of smell so you can smell when something's rotten. The bad thing about it is that sometimes if you've been around it and in it, you don't realize somebody else can walk in. Whew, what is that? You don't even smell it because you're used to it. So let me give you four things, four things. You might want to write these down. I can send them to you. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but four things so you can develop a spiritual smell of discernment. Here they are. Number one, you must have a spirit of obedience to Jesus Christ. If you're, if you're born again, you want to obey Jesus. Uh, we were talking about this in our ABF class. While it, it, it comes without fail, you do have to develop it. So, have a spirit of obedience to Christ. Romans 12.1. He says, I'm appealing to your brothers. Offer yourselves. Give yourselves. This is, this is worship. Not that you stand up and sing. or All of that is worship. But you want to know what real worship is to offer yourself, whether it's here or tomorrow or the next day or the next day. You offer your body as a living sacrifice. For to me, to live is Christ. Okay? Romans 12.1, you must have a spirit of obedience to Christ. If you don't have this, then you're, you're, not, you're not going to develop discernment. Second thing, you must study and know God's Word. That should be a delight to you. And we, we have been talking about as a church, we're, we're going through the, the year, one year, to study the whole Bible. I don't know about you, but I've read the Bible through on numerous occasions, and I'm always finding something new and enriching, aren't you? Study. Know God's Word. Paul continues the thought. Not only your body is a living sacrifice, but also if you don't want to be conformed to the world, you got to put some new software in, okay? Put the Word of God into your mind, the renewal of the mind, so that you might what? Discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Wow, you could stop there, but we aren't, okay? A third thing, so you've got to start with the spirit of obedience. Do you really want to obey the Lord? If you don't, maybe you need to fix that by getting saved. We'll come back to share the gospel in a minute. But study and know God's Word, and then we must practice discernment. Practice it. I love Hebrews 5.14. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their, look at this, powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Don't think you can just osmose this. If you're not in the Word, if you don't have a spirit of obedience, and if you're not daily, minute by minute, putting, let, let me put it this way, putting everything to the smell test so that you can distinguish between what's good and what's evil. You practice and you practice and you practice. One of these days we'll be through when we go to heaven and be like Jesus. But for right now... Uh, you need to practice. Then the last thing is this. Be accountable. I talked to my son-in-law about he, he's working or talking to several of these guys who just left their wives, family, kids, 
I mean, these are guys in their early 40s. And uh, were any of them accountable? Now, one of the things about accountability with, with people, you can lie. These guys, you know, they could say they're accountable and they can lie. But you can't lie to God. Each one of our, us will give an account of ourselves to God. And this is so important. We need to be accountable, first of all, to God. God, examine my heart. Am I doing this for me? Am I doing this for your glory? Why am I doing this? And then, yes, it's so important if you are not involved in a relationship, an iron-on-iron relationship. That's talking about men, but ladies, do you need this too? Or you can be honest with each other. So you need to be accountable. So there it is. In a day of difficulty, you parents, how are you going to train your kids? This, this is it. The Word, discernment, good and evil, grasp what's good, abstain from what is evil. But you got to have a starting point, and that's why you, we pray. We pray for our children. Oh, God, let them be born again. How do you do that? The gospel says that we are sinners before a holy God. We deserve only one thing, an eternity apart from God. In a place called hell, eternal judgment. But God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to, to die, to take our place so that we could live right now with God through Christ and for eternity. But that has to be something that your kids do has to be something that you do. And so if you've heard this and how do I get started on this, it could be that today you need to be born again. Would you turn away from sin? Would you trust Christ as the one who is only, He only is sufficient for your salvation and your sanctification? Father, I thank You for uh, Your Word. Uh, daily, Lord, Your Word um, rips me up, and then grace upon grace, it just puts me right back together again. And I, I pray this for uh, all of our folks here who've said under the preaching of the Word today that they would receive the Word. If I've said anything that is extraneous, uh, I, let them forget it, Lord, but let them remember Your Word, to love Your Word, to put the Word into their hearts and then pursue you with discerning spirits. Help them to discern between what's good and what is evil, to choose the good and to abhor what is evil. And if there's anyone there who has never received Christ, I pray that that person, young or old, man or woman, would do that today. Thank you, Lord. Now, as we sing a concluding song and seal these things to our hearts before we leave, we pray that you would get the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen.